Welcome to the Writing Time Podcast. I'm Blake Guthrie from the University of North Florida. I'm here today to continue our journey through the collected works of Samuel Beckett and Anton Chekhov. Tonight we'll be continuing our detour away from the main body of Beckett and Chekhov's texts, and rather, we'll be wrapping up the second half of Walter Benjamin's essay, The Storyteller, in which he reflects not on Chekhov, but on another Russian writer, Nikolai Leskov. If you haven't already, please go back and listen to episode 5, The Storyteller, to get the context of this essay. And before we begin tonight's episode, I'd, I'd really just like to take a second to acknowledge that this podcast is finally online. Though this is episode 6, I've recorded 8 episodes up until this point, and 2 were scrapped along the way, the first and the third, due to issues of content and delivery, and so until now, when I'm recording this episode 6, the, the podcast hasn't technically existed yet. Uh, then again, there's no way you'd have even made it this far, assuming you're listening in the future, if the episodes weren't already live. So, in any case, just make sure to go check out the back catalog, catalog of episodes that I've done. Um, not that I've entirely locked this process down, but I'm starting to develop a rhythm with these things. And it's exciting to finally have some product up there, however meager. So let's dive back into Benjamin. Last time we were talking about experience, wisdom, and storytelling as the primary lenses through which Benjamin takes up his approach. We left off last time in the tenth section of Benjamin's essay, where he discusses uh, Valeri's observation that the decline of the idea of eternity coincided with the increasing aversion to sustained effort. That is, according to Benjamin, the idea of eternity has ever had its strongest source in death. This change is identical with the one that has diminished the communicability of experience to the same extent as the art of storytelling has declined. Here, Benjamin makes the distinction between death's decline in both omnipresence and vividness. Death is something that we have made possible for people to avoid seeing. And keeping in mind the perennial idea that has unified this course, to be is to be seen, it's as though we kill our dead before they truly die. Dying, according to Benjamin, was once a public process, but we've moved away from that, such that he calls us the dry dwellers of eternity. Death is essential to storytelling, for just as a secret sequence of images is set in motion inside a man as his life comes to an end, suddenly, in expressions and loops, the unforgettable emerges and imparts to everything that concerned him. Death writes Benjamin, is the sanction of everything that the storyteller can tell. He has borrowed his authority from death. In other words, it is natural history to which his stories refer back. Benjamin continues the essay with an examination of historiography, or the relationship between the chronicler and the history teller. Benjamin argues that they are essentially the same. The historian, furthermore, has no obligation to display history as a model for how to live. Like Beckett's tramps, like Chekhov's infinitely flawed characters, neither author provides us with livable models to take from their stories out into the world. Rather, they present what Benjamin writes as a profane outlook, or the multicolored fabric of a worldly view. We see it in its entirety. History is secularized. Eventually, Benjamin makes this distinction between eschatology and naturalism, 
that man's relationship to nature is in disharmony. We must move beyond the world of naive poetry and into the creative matrix of various epic forms as curated by memory, which Benjamin writes is the epic faculty par excellence. Memory, for Benjamin, creates the chain of tradition which passes a happening on from generation to generation. Benjamin moves into a discussion of the novel, which is of special import for our discussion of Chekhov's recurring theme of disparaging the writer and the novelist. As we know, Chekhov never wrote uh, the great novel that was so expected of Russian writers at the time. Rather, his works all are consolidated into short stories, plays, and essays. But, with Chekhov in mind, Benjamin writes of how the novel is a form of transcendental homelessness, which takes on all kinds of forms. Time is the main constitutive principle with which the novel is organized. Benjamin employs George Lukacs, who writes that time can become constitutive only when connection with the transcendental home has been lost. Only in the novel are meaning and life, and thus the essential and the temporal, separated. One can almost say that the whole interaction of a novel is nothing else but a struggle against the power of time. And from this arise the genuinely epic experiences of time, hope and memory. Only in the novel does there occur a creative memory which transfixes the object and transforms it. The duality of inwardness and outside world can here be overcome for the subject only when he sees the unity of his entire life out of the past life stream which is compressed in memory. The insight which grasps this unity becomes the divinatory intuitive grasping of the unattained and therefore inexpressible meaning of life. That might have been the longest quote I've read on this show so far. And it bears some unpacking. So looking, looking at this section again. Time can become constitutive only when connection with the transcendental home has been lost. Hence, transcendental homelessness. Only in the novel are meaning and life, and thus the essential and the temporal, separated. So otherwise, the essential and the temporal are implicated into each other. The novel divorces them. And in the same way, life and its meaning are already in and of themselves. Yet we, I guess, in our attempts to parse out stories and compress them into novels, separate falsely. One can almost say that the whole interaction of the novel is nothing else but a struggle against the power of time, and from this arise the genuinely epic experiences of time, hope and memory. I haven't ever encountered that distinction before. Memory has always been a huge faculty in my, my focus on what time means in literature and otherwise. But hope is, is kind of an interesting formulation because hope is usually always directed towards the future, and, and in fact probably always is. And there's false hopes in the same way there's false memories. I, I, I just don't know why I never thought of hope as the opposite to memory, because I think memory's opposite is forgetting. Uh, I have never thought about thinking of the opposite in terms of it, its temporal function, uh, if that makes sense. Only in the novel does there occur a creative memory, which transfixes the object and transforms it. The duality of inwardness and outside world can here be s overcome for the subject only when he sees the unity of his entire life out of the past life stream which compressed in memory. 
the insight which grasps this unity becomes the divinatory intuitive grasping of the unattained and therefore inexpressible meaning of life. And so thinking about the inexpressible meaning of life, this also points towards Beckett and Chekhov's works in the sense that so many of their plays will have a philosophizing character or moments of philosophizing, but they are never taken seriously, sustained, or endured, at least not by other characters. In Chekhov's Three Sisters, the, when the characters philosophize, no one's listening. In Beckett's Waiting for Godot, when Lucky throws on his hat, it turns into nonsense. And, and you could go on. Uh, this, this unattainability, this inexpressible meaning of life is perhaps why Beckett and Chekhov did not express clear meaning. But if we move on through Benjamin's essay, uh, he, he arrives at a discussion of the listener of the story. The reader of the novel is isolated more so than any kind of reader. Benjamin also makes note of the fairy tales in our lives and how they are the first tutor to children. The fairy tale, he writes, tells us of the earliest arrangements that mankind made to shake off the nightmare which the myth had placed upon its chest. He also continues into a discussion of myth, which is a hybrid of the tale and the epic. As the essay begins to conclude, Benjamin brings in the discussion of the righteous man, who, he writes, is the advocate for created things and at the same time he is their highest embodiment. The hierarchy of the world of created things, which has its apex in the righteous man, reaches down into the abyss of the inanimate by many gradations. This whole created world speaks not so much with the human voice as with what could be called the voice of nature, which, Benjamin notes, is the title of Leskov's most significant story. In sum, a man must be willing to reveal his identity to himself, to others, to us. And Benjamin also offers us a discussion of humor, especially as it arises from otherwise cryptic situations. Humor has about it an uncanny honesty that tells us what we already recognize but have been assigned to pretend not to. To this end, a moral principle arises for the righteous man, and it's up to him to improvise with it accordingly. And here Benjamin concludes properly. The storyteller, seen in this way, joins the ranks of the teachers and sages. He has counsel, not for a few situations, as the proverb does, but for many, like the sage. For it is granted to him to reach back to a whole lifetime, a life, incidentally, that compromises not only his own experience, but no little of the experience of others. What the storyteller knows from hearsay is added to his own. His gift is the ability to relate his life, his distinction to be able to tell his entire life. The storyteller, he is the man who could let the wick of his life be consumed completely by the gentle flame of his story. This is the basis of the incomparable aura about the storyteller, in Leskov as in Hoff, in Poe as in Stevenson. The storyteller is the figure in which the righteous man encounters himself. I'll read that last line again. 
The storyteller is the figure in which the righteous man encounters himself. And so we begin to have a fuller picture through Benjamin about the functions and the importance of a storyteller. Furthermore, we have some vocabulary now of how to better approach these problems of storytelling in Beckett and Chekhov. We can look for the righteous man in their writings, and in most cases, where we fail to find them, we'll be isolated. We'll be left to our own meaning-making devices, and thus we'll have to improvise with the moral principles that they offer us. These ideas, amongst others in Benjamin's essay, specifically the first part, which we didn't touch back on very much in this episode, will indeed make their appearances further on in this podcast series, but for now, we should wrap up. Uh, Before we depart, I like to do this little thing at the end of the podcast where I leave us with a saying in Stoicism, a philosophy which is always vitally aware of time and its implications for our own lives and our own impending mortality. Today's saying from Stoicism comes from Epictetus. If a person gave away your body to some passerby, you'd be furious, yet you hand over your mind to anyone who comes along so they may abuse you, leaving it disturbed and troubled. Have you no shame in that? Essentially, what Epictetus is trying to say here, if we give our body away to other people, we would, we would throw up our arms in protest. We would say, you can't make me a slave. I, you can't control my body, what I do, uh, especially not in the 21st century with the discussion of pro-life and pro-choice and what a woman's body is, where it ends, and the fetus's right to life begins and so forth. Um, there's reasons to object to a degradation of bodily autonomy and civil liberties in society. But more specifically, what Epictetus is trying to say is, here you make that moral claim, I have bodily autonomy and authority, but you hand your mind over to anyone who comes along so they may abuse you, leaving it disturbed and troubled. Have you no shame in that? So why why are you so defensive about your body and not your mind? And in the same way, why are we so why are we so vulnerable to stories and storytelling not that there isn't something valuable in the novel but chekhov didn't write the novel and beckett frequently disparages the novel despite having written one of his own albeit hastily put together and unreadable but in, in coming up with the discussion of the righteous man in Benjamin's essay and the storyteller who, who is the righteous man encountering himself, maybe Epictetus is suggesting that the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we let others tell us are instances of us handing over our mind in the way that we would hand over our bodies to others. We let them disturb and trouble us, and yet we feel no shame when we're vulnerable to their predations. And so, with that in mind, we'll wrap up this week's episode of the Writing Time Podcast. Until next time, I'm Blake Guthrie, your host. You've been listening to the Writing Time Podcast. Stay curious.